0: And welcome to the Insurance and Injury Law Show here on Talk Radio AM640. Savannah is your guy. The number anytime 416-216-5910 help at theinsurancelawyer.ca We'll get to some, some emails a little later on and your questions always come through the email. We get to as many as we can during the uh, next hour and then we will get into something we call the Injury Calculator at InjuryCalculator.ca. In the meantime, you want to check it out while we speak here. You can do so and we'll give you some more details in a few minutes. But first, the week that was, you got what? Three cases this week. We got three cases, John. County. It was uh, a
1: Very, very busy week. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. And, of course, with the new year, we have this uh, bad weather, uh, very cold weather. And, of course, we had some snow, and we have the ice, and we have, as usual, a ton of accidents Mm -hmm. on the road. So we'll talk about that. The first case I want to talk about uh, is uh, a a lady who called me uh, because her husband was in a bad uh, car crash on Boxing Day. Uh, He was T-boned by a pickup truck at an intersection in Scarborough, close to his home. Uh, He and his daughter were just coming back from some shopping. Uh, it was a pretty bad collision. Uh, police, fire, and ambulance arrived. Uh, his left side of his body took the brunt of the impact. Uh, so, obviously, the driver's side was hit. He was taken to hospital by ambulance, suffered the left shoulder tear, and had to have emergency surgery wow. on it. Now, he's 51 years old, works in construction, so you're already getting an idea here of the severity of the injuries. Uh, He will be off work for a long time, and he wanted to know, of course, what he's entitled to, what he can do, what the options are, what his legal rights are. And he was already contacted, uh, get this, this just happened on Boxing Day, but he was already contacted by the insurance company for the pickup truck driver to chat about his injuries. So this is this often happens when uh, an adjuster from the opposing insurance company of the person who hit you mm-hmm. will call you up just to assess what the injuries are like to, to get a little bit more information so they can start papering their files In anticipation of a claim. That didn't
0: take long. Yeah,
1: It didn't take long. Uh So this is important. Understand this, that if the insurance company for the other driver is calling you to get this information, clearly they are concerned about potential exposure. What does that mean? They're concerned that they're going to have to pay you uh, compensation for your injuries because their guy hit you. Now, he had an interesting question for me. He wanted to know, uh, irrespective of this insurance issue, if he should be telling his employer that he was in an accident because he's afraid... That if he tells his employer that he was in an accident and had this severe injury to his shoulder, uh, and he he will be out for a while, uh, that his employer will find someone else. And of course, you know, by doing the employment hour and speaking with Lior, you know that his employer should not be touching him, right? He's under disability at this point. It would be a breach of the human rights code. Uh, But what I told him, I said, listen, from a legal standpoint, you should be telling your employer of this. Uh, Number one, because you want to be uh, straightforward and and upfront. Yeah, yeah, you want to make sure your employer has this. And you want to make sure that this gets into the employment file, your employment file at work, that you were in an accident, that because of this injury, because of this accident, you are now unable to work for a certain period of time. And the reason why this is important is because if you end up making a claim for compensation for pain and suffering, for income loss, for any other damages because of this accident... One of the things that the other side will ask for is your employment file. They'll want to see that, in fact, it was documented you that you can't work because of the injuries. So, very, very important. And, of course, once he once I explained that to him, he understood the importance of telling his employer. And immediately after we got off the phone, mm-hmm. uh, he called the employer. He sent me an email uh, in this regard. Of course, I also explained to him what benefits he should be uh, looking forward to be getting from his own insurance company, right? right? Accident benefits, Uh, including income replacement benefits to help him with uh, the income losses he's suffering, uh, treatments that he's entitled to, and of course it's going to be a long recovery. So we're going to be meeting very, very soon to actually go over all components of his claim to make sure that we can advance his claim on both ends, both with respect to his own insurance company and with respect to the insurance company of the guy who hit him.
0: And now that he's dealt with you, the insurance company of the the guy who's driving the truck will no longer be hassling him. You got yeah, it. They're, the they're going to be part, speaking
1: right? with me, with right. my office, so my guy can actually focus on getting better. And that's what I would tell to many people out there who are listening. If you're in an accident, you don't want to have to be dealing with the insurance adjusters, whether it's your adjuster or the other side's adjuster. It's just going to be a lot of stress, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are people listening right now who are nodding their heads, who are going through this very thing right now. Don't deal with that. Trust me when I tell you that these adjusters know what they're doing. They're professionals. Their goal is to pay you as little as possible. So, you know, even the playing field, talk to us, talk to me, we'll have a, a conversation just for a few minutes on the phone, and I'll tell you exactly what all your options are.
0: Got a couple minutes, you can do the uh, the second of three, and then we'll do one after the break.
1: All right, so the second one is a long-term disability claim, and of course, we've been talking about this for a while now. Um, this, is, uh, this is an email that I had received from someone, and I'll read you the actual email, and then I'll respond to it. So the email states, I have been on LTD for one year, and the insurance company is trying to force me back to work, or accept a settlement, a lump sum settlement. Mm. I was diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. My family doctor, my psychiatrist, and their disability therapist have all said that I'm not able to return to work. My family doctor has even supplied a new letter saying that I'm absolutely not able to return to work. They are saying that they have a gradual return to work plan starting January 4th, this was yesterday, but none of my team, in quotes, or myself have even seen it, the question was, can they force me back to work? The answer is no. Your LTD insurer is not able to legally force you back to work. Only thing that they can do is they can threaten you. They can threaten that they're going to cut you off, which, of course, they've done in this case, or in this case, they've also offered the lump sum settlement. Right. Uh, or uh, they can persuade you to attend some kind of a rehab program or a uh, work uh, a training program to try and get you back on your feet. They cannot actually force you think about it physically to go back to work. Can they force you into that program? They can try and force you into that program, but if it goes against medical advice- if if you are Yeah, no way. If you're unable to do it, or your doctors are saying you're not able to do it, there's no way in hell that uh, a court, at the end of the day, if this ever went to court, which by the way, these cases almost never do, there's no way a court would agree with the insurance company. Insurance companies are doing this because they know that they have leverage over you. You're in a very precarious state. You are disabled. You're focusing on trying to get better. You don't want to have to be fighting your insurance company. And so what What do most people do? They relent. They relent. They try to go back to work to their own detriment. And, uh, you know, and again, this lady, I mean, I spoke with her and, and we chatted. She feels a lot better about this. And I'll tell you this, John, if she gets cut off... Uh, they're going to get a claim on their desk the next the, the next day, the insurance mm-hmm. company, and they're going to end up paying her a much larger settlement, larger settlement uh, th- than than what they've offered.
0: We'll take a, a quick break. We'll get to one more. We'll get into the injury calculator, give you details and that, answer a couple emails as well. In the meantime, the number is 416-216-5910. That's Savan's direct number. You can go to Savan at theinsurancelawyer.ca or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640, Savannah, to get a hold of him anytime. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca or 416 216 5910. We always do our week that was in the first segment, but uh, you're chock full this week. We got one more before we get into details about the uh, injury calculator. That's right, John. And I actually had to work really hard to uh, narrow down the right. three
1: cases I was going to talk on. So, this third case I'm going to mention, again, has to do with long term disability. Just because I've been seeing so many of these cases come up now, Uh, for whatever reason. And and this is a gentleman who's 52 years old. He's a computer programmer from Barrie. He's been on disability for the past couple of years because of severe depression. Recently, his insurance company cut him off. And in their letter, they said that he can appeal their decision. Mm -hmm. And again, we've seen this time and time again, and I've talked about it time and time again, when insurance companies uh, on LTD cases offer you uh, the opportunity to appeal the cutoff and I often tell people don't bother okay I've seen it too many times when people appeal these cutoff decisions Uh, they get a decision a few months later that says sorry We've reviewed all the documentation. We are of the same view that you are not disabled enough not to go to work. So the the cutoff remains uh, as
0: is. Aren't you appealing to the same people who cut you off in the first
1: place? You effectively are. Effectively <laughs> are. And of course, <laughs> insurance companies will say, you know, there's different people at the insurance company that are reviewing your file. Sure. Look, at the end of the day, in my experience, these appeals rarely work because you are producing uh, essentially the same documentation. Right. I mean, it's your own doctors who are again saying what they've said before, that, which is that you were not able to go back to work. Uh, so, you know, I've seen people appeal once, appeal twice, and, you know, and by the time the appeal process is done and people are at their wits' end, half a year has passed, a year has passed, and then what? And then they end up coming to me, which they should have done at the beginning, talking to me, and we start a claim within a matter of days. Literally within a matter of days, the insurance company gets it, the process gets started, we end up resolving these cases. Look, at the end of the day, if you are... uh um uh, Legitimately unable to go back to work because of a disability. If your insurance, if your uh, doctor, family doctor, specialist, whoever it is, is supporting that disability. There is no way that the insurance company can maintain that position that you are not disabled and you should be able to go back to work. Again, it's just me- that simple. medical word trumps all, right? Medical word trumps all, all right. exactly.
0: Uh, by the way, before we get into Injury Calculator, if you have any questions about long-term disability, Savan's got that covered as well, mydisabilityquestions.com. Check that out. So Injury Calculator, give me some details. What is it? How does it work? All right, it's an online
1: tool. Again, we've been talking about this for a while now. It's a, a uh, virtual database uh, online database that allows you to input a few pieces of information about your injuries. You're not identifying yourself. There's no, you're not putting your name, your number, nothing. You're just going in there saying, here's the data I was injured, here's the type of injury I suffered, here's the severity of the injury, and then what it does is it scans through its database, through the algorithm that we've created, and it tells you that based on Canadian case law, here is the range of compensation you can expect to get for your injury for pain and suffering, and this is important, right? It's only for pain and suffering because if, for example, you haven't been able to go back to work or, you know, you haven't been able to work overtime or you've had expenses such as uh, expensive medications because of your injuries, etc., etc., those are above and beyond what this calculator will do. What this calculator is going to do is it's going to tell you, based on Canadian cases, other cases, other situations where these kinds of cases have gone all the way to the courthouse, and judges have given opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on those cases, how much is an injury like yours in a similar situation uh, going to be worth to you from a monetary standpoint?
0: So there'll be a window from this to this. There's going to be a window, exactly. You may
1: be told, you know, for this particular injury, you may expect to get anywhere from $50,000 to $70,000. Gotcha. And why do you have a window? Because no case, no two cases are, sure. are exactly the same. You have different ages. Uh, the, the same injury can impact uh, people in a different way. Perhaps you had a bad back before the accident, as opposed to someone who was completely healthy. Gotcha. You had the exact same back injury, but for you, it's much worse because it's aggravating an old injury, right? You're more
0: susceptible. So very, very important. So injurycalculator.ca. So if I, if, I, if I go on there now, how does it work? What do I do? So it, you literally go to the
1: website and uh, you, you select the date of uh, the accident, mm-hmm. where it happened. Let's say Toronto, you put in your age, And uh, you you go through the menu system and asks, you know, are are you dealing with an injury to your head, to your knee, to your shoulder, etc.? And then it may ask you sub-questions. So, for example, if it was a knee injury, uh, did you suffer a tear or a fracture or a contusion? So, So, you know, it literally takes 30 seconds to go through the menu system. And then at the end, all it does is it spits out that range of damages you could expect to get. Okay? Very, very important to understand that, Uh, this is based on prior case law. This is not something that we simply made up. up. Exactly. This is based on a lot of research. And of course, then you can submit for a consultation if in fact you want to contact me directly. If you want to have a conversation with me, whether it's by email or by phone, there's no obligation. You don't have to. I mean, you can just get that And go, wow, and
0: click off. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's all I can do. Just close the browser. I would never know you visit the website. Uh, But if you want to actually have a more in-depth consultation because the injury really is more severe or the impact on you, and your family is more severe, by all means, click the console button. Free, again, doesn't cost anything to talk to me. We'll have a chat. Within a few minutes, I'll give you an idea about what is the full range of compensation you could be looking at.
0: So that pain and suffering component is the key to the injury calculator. Now, when I call you and say you've piqued my interest with the number that I see, I call you, want a better consultation, that's when I'll get details on the other parts of compensation, which could be much larger, yeah?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I may, I may be asking you, you know, John, tell me about uh, how the injury has impacted your work. Right. Uh, for example, you have people at home who are helping you. Do you have uh, your son, your daughter, your spouse, who are doing certain things for you because you cannot do those things because of your injuries? If so, perhaps they are entitled to compensation. These are all things that I can't put into a calculator because totally. it's, it's just there are too many facts, too many variables. The pain and suffering component is something that lawyers do day in and day out when we're dealing with cases. And listen, I mean, even when I worked for insurance companies in the past uh, and I had to give my adjuster clients, right? I was reporting to insurance companies and I told them, here's what this injury is worth from a pain and suffering standpoint. I did the exact same thing except for, you know, we didn't have a website like this. I had to go to the books. So literally, you go to the firm's library, you open up the textbooks that deal with damages, wow. and you literally go through the table of contents. You go and you see, you know, you see head, eyes, nose. You know, my wife uh, used to call those uh, meat charts. The meat chart, yeah. You know, as, as disgusting as that sounds, I mean, that's the only way to look at it. So yeah. then you turn to the right page that talks about knees, for example. And you look at the cases, other cases in Canada, uh, where it was decided that this knee injury is worth $30,000 for mm-hmm. pain and suffering, or 40000 or 50000 Now it's all done. Now it's all done. Beautiful. It's it's all online. There's nothing like this in Canada, as far as I know. Uh, it was something that took us a long time to put together, and it's completely
0: free and anonymous. Injurycalculator.ca to check it out now. We'll take a short break, and there's some emails. As promised, you want to send us one over, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here Talk Radio AM640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio AM 640. Savannah Tamarkin is your uh, your host. Uh, alongside giving all the information, the number as well, anytime, 416-216-5910. Again, InjuryCalculator.ca. You want to check that website out when you got a few moments or you're listening to the show. I mentioned emails, help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. For that, we'll get to one from Laura here. First off the top from Richmond Hill says, I slipped and fell on water. As I was walking in the grocery store, a couple of weeks ago I was by the deli area, yummy, and uh, after I fell, the lady who worked there said that apparently they've uh, had leaking from the freezer for several days. I twisted my knee pretty badly and have a referral to see a specialist. My family doctor thinks I may have torn a ligament. He prescribed me pain medications, but they're expensive. Is the store responsible to cover my medication costs? And any others, I guess, at that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Laura, uh, This is a, it's an interesting case because I've had a few of these kinds of cases
1: where people have gone in grocery stores and they've slipped and fell as a result of um, very various uh, machinery that was malfunctioning. So obviously here, there is an admission by the store employee that there was an issue with the freezer. Here's the interesting thing. Yes, the answer is that uh, the store or their insurance company will likely compensate you for the medication costs, but also for the pain and suffering, right? You, again, you can go to that uh, website, injurycalculator.ca, and literally take a look to see what that's going to be worth for you. Uh, but, but you know, this is where getting the right... Uh, injury lawyer uh, r- really plays a big factor here because it's possible. It's possible that it's not just the store that it's fault. It's possible that whoever provided this freezer to them or ma- was maintaining the oh, freezer yeah. uh, to them might be the a third party. You got it. It could All be right. a third party, and this is something that uh, when I worked uh, for insurance companies, oftentimes I would get claims across my desk uh, where it was obvious to me from just looking at at you know the file and the claim that the plaintiff's lawyer did not end up uh, naming all of the correct parties. And that just prolongs the the claim. And and why is that important? Because you hear those horror stories about these claims taking years and years and years to resolve. I had one this morning where this gentleman told me about a car accident he had a few years back uh, that just now resolved. And I think the accident was about six years ago. I mean, that's insane. There is no reason why these claims should take so long to resolve. Oftentimes what happens is that uh, not all the parties are named, which means that then you have to name the proper parties, either bring another claim or amend the current claim to add the other parties, uh, or there's third party claims, all this legalistic uh, right. jargon that happens. Yeah. A- a- there's no need for that if you do your due diligence. So, Laura, to answer your question, uh, you are not going to be responsible. I mean, you're going to be responsible initially at least to pay for those medications unless you have a collateral benefits insurer like you know, health benefits through work that can cover this. Uh, But but generally speaking, keep the receipts, all the receipts for all your out-of-pocket expenses. If you're going to the specialist and you're paying for parking, keep those expenses. Make sure you tabulate everything. Make sure you have the receipts uh, because you're going to be claiming for that. You're going to be claiming for any income losses that you have. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind, just based on the facts. That Laura just gave us, John, uh, is that uh, somebody is going to be responsible. The question is who, and the issue is to get the right insurance companies at the table when it t- when it comes time to uh, talk resolution and settlement of the claim.
0: can she claim for the pastrami because nobody likes wasted deli meat? That's all, the biggest crime of this entire thing. Only <laughs> she likes pastrami, John. <laughs> Can all, I get my compensation all, yeah. in deli meat? That would be great. Oh, that would be a lot. Anytime, Laura. The number is 416-216-5910. One of you, you mentioned uh, a couple times this show and every show that you did work on the other side of the table for an insurance company. So we'll, we'll cover a little of this. And there's questions about insurance adjusters. What do people, what do they need to understand when they're dealing with insurance adjusters after an accident? So this is important. And uh,
1: I'm, I'm thinking uh, that uh, we probably have a few adjusters listening right now who are... Goodie. Uh, listening really carefully to what I'm going to say. So yes, I've worked with quite a few adjusters in different contexts, different insurance companies. Some of them were in-house. Some of them were uh, investigative adjusters. So they're not necessarily working for an insurance company, but they're uh, uh, investigating the claim and then reporting to someone up. So understand three things. Number one, an insurance adjuster works for the insurance company, not for you. That applies In every context. So when you get insurance, whether it's house insurance, health insurance, whatever it is you get, boat insurance, whatever, car insurance, if you are making a claim, technically, technically, you are the insured. Technically, the adjuster Mm -hmm. is supposed to be looking out for you. The reality is they are working for the insurance company. Okay, so they're not uh, uh, working for you. That means that they are protecting the insurance company, that's their top priority. So always understand that, always assume that when you're dealing with them. Number two, an adjuster answers to their employer, not to you. So you can scream until you're blue in the face that you want your claim paid Unless the adjuster is following proper protocol or the adjuster is speaking with whoever has authority to allow them to pay you the claim, they That's are not happen. just exactly they're not just mm-hmm. going to follow your commands it's just that simple Number three: an adjuster is a professional. And what does that mean? It means that unless you are in the industry as well, if you are going head to head with an adjuster mm-hmm. so for example, an adjuster calls you up after you slipped and fell on the sidewalk, right an adjuster for the city, for example, and they say. John, I'd like to come by and take a statement from you. And you think, well, I'm a sophisticated guy. I I can stand toe to toe. Sure, come and take a statement. I know exactly what I need to tell you. Well, I'll tell you right now, John, that unless you are in the industry, you are likely going to say something that's not going to be helpful to you down the road. Mm -hmm. First of all, you should not be giving any statements. You should not be dealing with these adjusters, particularly when you're dealing with an adjuster for an opposing party. So what do I mean by that? If you're injured in a car accident, remember how we talked about how having two types of claims? One is with your own insurance company for benefits. Yes. One is with the opposing adjuster. Yep. If you're dealing with the adjuster for your own insurance company, there is still some relationship whereby they are still obligated to look after you, even though though their top priority, as I said before, is the insurance company. But when you're dealing with an opposing adjuster, the adjuster for the other side, where you may be making a claim for compensation for pain and suffering, for example, yeah, don't go there. they are really no. not looking out for you, okay? So there's different levels of, of loyalty, so to speak. Gotcha. So again, the number, thing to re- the number one thing to remember is that when you're dealing with adjusters, they're not working for you, they're not answering to you, and they are professionals. Their job is to mitigate and to minimize their employers, the company that employs them, uh, uh, their exposure. Just remember that. That's very, very important.
0: I'll ask you after we take a short break is how you deal with such persons when they get you on the phone or knock on your door. In the meantime, 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah. you want to email its help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. to Tamarkin at 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We were talking uh, in the previous segment about insurance adjusters and dealing with them. We talked about when they're going to give you a call and what Happens so? How do you, as an injured person, deal with the insurance adjuster? Because guaranteed, even as for the other side, they're going to be friendly. They're going to be friendly. Most right. of the
1: time, they're going to be friendly.
0: Um, and uh, you know,
1: I was going to say it's a wolf in sheep's uh, clothing, right. but you know, I'm not going to paint everyone with the same brush because adjusters are people. They're there to perform a certain job, yep. a duty uh, for their employer. So, uh, three pieces of advice when you're dealing with an adjuster: Number one, as I mentioned before. You are deal- when you're dealing with an adjuster, you're either dealing with an adjuster for your insurance company. So, for example, if uh, you know, you're dealing with a, uh, a flood that happened in your house, you're dealing with your insurance company, you're dealing with your adjuster, you certainly have an obligation to communicate with them. But if you're dealing in an injury context, right? So in a car accident contest, somebody hits you right. and you're dealing with the adjuster for the insurance company for the guy that hits you you have no obligation to talk to that person and you should not talk to that person. What do you tell them? You you just simply tell them, I don't want to speak with you or get legal advice or get a lawyer. Give me a call, for example. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to tell them, I'm not giving you any information at this point until I'm prepared to do so, until I have instructions to do so. So don't deal with an adjuster from an opposing side. Okay, With your adjuster, with your insurance company, yes, you can deal with because you have an obligation to deal with them. Otherwise, your claim won't get adjudicated. But when you're dealing with an opposing adjuster on an opposing claim, like in a car accident situation, you have no obligation and you should not speak with the other side. That's number one. Number two, do not give a statement without a lawyer present. I can't stress this enough. When you give these statements, oftentimes they want you to sign those statements. Oftentimes, actually, John, they'll record the statements. Now, you can get a copy of these things, but again, the amount of times that I have seen these statements come across my desk... Uh, Whether I was working for the insurance companies or whether I've been working for individuals who are injured or making claims themselves. And and I'm seeing these basic mistakes that people are making. They're saying certain things that they don't necessarily mean. It's just the way that the words are interpreted, the phrases are interpreted. You don't want to be in that position. So make sure you have a lawyer present if you're going to give that statement. Otherwise, don't agree to give a statement. Number three, and this is also very, very key. Make sure you document your communications with the adjuster in writing. And that can be via email. And why? I mean, I don't have to tell you why. It's common sense. Once you have it through email, then you, you have a record. You, you have a record, exactly. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, this is what I said. This is what you said. It's not a he said, she said it's a situation. You actually have a documentary record. And that can go a long way. In fact, I had a claim about a year ago. It was a travel insurance claim uh-huh. for, uh, for a huge claim that wasn't paid. It was close to 100 grand. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with the details, except I'm going to tell you that the reason why the insurance company ended up paying my client is because the insurance company was alleging that they had said something to my client, and they couldn't produce any any records, any emails wow. to substantiate that. Of course, if they had kept a record, they could have substantiated it, and my client would have had no claim. But of course, it works the other way around as well. If I have a client, my client says the insurance adjuster told me X and Y, and that entitles me to compensation and you don't have a record of that, the insurance company is going to deny that, you as the claimant have the onus of proving that they right. said that. Okay, so make sure you... Doc- and by the way, you don't have to have them uh, acknowledge your email. You can simply say, I confirm our conversation of today's date, and here's what was said. So these are the three pieces of advice... Uh, you know, don't don't speak with an opposing adjuster. Uh, Don't agree to give a statement without a lawyer present if you're making an insurance claim or an injury
0: claim and document your communications in writing. 416-216-5910 help at the lawyer.ca. We're talking about what you should say or deal with or how to deal with an insurance adjuster in person or on the phone. You mentioned, uh, you know, you can just off off the cuff you not even knowing, say things that could you know put a uh, proverbial nail in your coffin before it even gets going. What kind of things have you heard that people would say that is wrong to say to an adjuster
1: uh, you know the 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 best example I can give you where the two best examples actually come to mind uh, are, are in a slip and fall context where somebody um, uh, thinks that they have an idea of why it is that they fell you know there was perhaps ice uh, on the road or, right. or you know because you know their clothing was wet and and they, they know sort of the main reason why they would have fallen but you know, when they're asked directly, well, do you know? Do you actually know? They say, well, I don't actually know, but you know, two plus two equals four. I I, I know that there was nothing on yeah. on the sidewalk except for for ice. I didn't see that actual patch of ice, but I know it was icy all around. But of course, on the statement, you say. No, I don't actually know. And, and you know, th- that's a problem because it comes across as though, well, you have absolutely no clue why it is that you fell. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't overcome that kind of a hurdle in a phrase like that, you know, that you sign on a statement. But in insurance I'm just company will
0: prey on that. Yeah, they'll right?
1: prey on that. And, and you know, if, if they can knock off a few percentage points off of whatever damages you're entitled to, so if before you would have been entitled to 100 cents on the dollar for for damages, you know, like let's say 10 grand for your pain and suffering, Mm -hmm. maybe they can make an argument that, uh, no, you know, there's a 10% chance that uh, you won't succeed because you don't actually know what you fell on. Well, now you're entitled to $9,000, not $10,000, right? So that's one of those things. Uh, The other thing is in the context of car accidents, oftentimes people will give a statement early on after a car accident. Perhaps not all of the injuries have crystallized right? A lot of people who are listening right now who would have been in car accidents will tell you, I don't know if you've been in an accident, John, I've been in an accident.
0: I've caused several, yeah. You've caused okay. several.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, you know, people who have been in accidents uh, will tell you that oftentimes they won't feel this tremendous back pain until a day later. Or
0: a couple days, for sure. Or a couple of days, or a couple of days sure. later,
1: or I've had, yeah. you know, shoulder tears or knee tears, you know, that haven't actually uh, come to, to light until about a month later when it's, you know, the shoulder or the, the knee is really bothering them. And they get a referral for an MRI, and then it shows that there is a tear. So again, but but perhaps you've given a statement already, and the statement uh, simply states that, yeah, your injuries are simply your back pain. You're not mentioning your knee. Yeah, bruised. Right, and you're not mentioning your knee because that's not the main pain that you're feeling right now, right? It's something that develops over time. So again, they're going to seize on that later on during the claims process, and they're going to use that against you, and you don't want to be in that situation. Again, it doesn't mean you have no claim. It just means you are essentially giving them a weapon to use against you down the road to
0: minimize the amount of money they're going to have to pay you. It all speaks to just keeping your mouth shut and getting representation before you uh, you slip on uh, on the onset, for sure. We'll take a uh, quick break. 416-216-5910 is Savant's number. you want to ask an email, a question, which we will get to right after the other side of the break, and that is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. That is Savant's number. you want to send an email. Simple help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from Stephanie. Stephanie writes in from earlier. says, I've been on long long-term disability, LTD, for just over a year. And my insurance adjuster is telling me that I need to apply for CPP disability and that if I don't, they'll deduct what they estimate I should be getting from CPP from my monthly benefits. Bit of math here. Can they do that, and how does it work? Excellent question, Stephanie. And we've dealt with CPP
1: disability in the context of Mm -hmm. LTD claims before. Before I answer the question, um, Stephanie, I just want to mention there's another website that we've mentioned before, mydisabilityquestions.com. Uh, it, where a lot of people end up not just emailing me a question, but going to that website and just posting anonymous, anonymously these types of questions about disability, about LTD uh, uh, cases, and I'll, I'll answer them within minutes. So uh, mydisabilityquestions.com, another place where you can go and just uh, post a healthy archive. Yep, Very healthy sure. archive, yeah. So, Stephanie, let me, let me uh, answer your question. CPP disability is something... Uh, that uh, you're not automatically going to be entitled to get. You have to show that you have a a, a prolonged severe disability. Uh, the, the bar is not low for that. You have to make sure you have sufficient medical proof. Now, the reason why the insurance company is asking you uh, to apply for it is because, of course, they get a deduction. Okay, That's pretty much across the board now in almost every LTD policy that I see. And uh, what they often tell people is, listen, you have an obligation under your policy uh, to apply for CPP disability. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you don't comply with that, then we will simply assume that you would have been entitled to get CPP disability. The X
0: number of dollars you and got we'll it, deduct. And
1: you right. will deduct that. So I see that happening quite a lot. At the end of the day, it's actually not a bad idea to apply for CPP disability. For a very simple reason. When I have a client that's applied for it and was accepted or was initially denied and then we appealed and was accepted later, okay. I actually use that as a sword against the insurance company. I tell the insurance company, okay, well now since the government has approved my client for disability. Because they're a high threshold, right? Exactly, they're very right. high threshold. So since my client was approved by the government for disability, which of course the government doesn't want to pay you for that. So if they had pay if they are paying you for that, clearly they're recognizing you're disabled. You, insurance company should not be cutting them off now or later. Yeah, cuz okay? the
0: government said yes, so you you should be saying exactly, yes. Right? Exactly. So at the end of the Smart.
1: day, exactly, at the end of the day, between the CPP disability and what your insurance company is paying you, you're going to be getting whatever you would have been getting from your insurance company anyways. So it doesn't hurt you to apply and keep in mind at the end of the day, if you apply and you're denied, okay, so you don't end up getting CPP disability, then the insurance company can't say well. We're still going to estimate. You should have received X, Y, and Z. No, because you've done what you had to do. You mm-hmm. applied for it and you got it. rejected. Yeah. Of course, at that point, the insurance company can say, "Well, we're going to use that against you." Clearly, the government doesn't believe you're disabled, so you know we don't either. Right. It's a weaker argument, I would argue. Uh, but you know, very important for people who are on LTD to apply for CPP disability. It actually helps your case. And certainly, if the insurance company is telling you that if you don't do it, they are going to deduct that automatically. Then, then you know what's the point? I mean, if they're if they're going to do that, you might as well apply for CPP disability, mm-hmm. right?
0: But it's not a bonus. So if if 100% no, your a one hundred percent of compensation is a thousand, the CPP gives you five. You don't get fifteen hundred. You get you got five it. and five. You right? got it. Yeah. You got it. I want to talk about a long term disability question since we're here. So how many many people are confused by the term "quote unquote" disability? What does it actually mean? Yeah, so that's a very very good
1: question. Um, because different people have different ideas of what this this disability means, Uh, especially if you are disabled yourself versus the adjuster versus a family member, etc. So the term disability is actually defined in relation to your ability to perform the duties of your job. So it's your own occupation. In order to qualify for benefits, you have to meet your policy's definition of what's referred to as total disability. In most of these kinds of LTD policies, generally speaking, totally disabled means that you are reasonably unable to work, okay? Okay. Now, during the own occupation test, remember, during the first two years of disability while you're on long-term disability, uh, totally disabled means that as a result of your injury or an illness, and by the way, that can be physical or psychological, you are unable to perform the regular duties of your own occupation. After the two-year mark... Generally, in these kinds of policies, the definition expands. This is where we see people getting cut off quite often, and unfortunately, many people just give up, accept the cutoff, and, uh, and language. they suffer, exactly, because they can't go back to work. But what happens during that uh, two-year transition? So the definition is no longer can you do your own job, it's can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by education, training, or experience. So if you're an orthopedic uh, surgeon, John, nobody's going to tell you that after two years you have to go and serve coffee at Tim Hortons. Nothing wrong with that. But, but you can teach. I- you can teach, right? S- certainly, yeah, yeah absolutely, you can be yeah. A professor, whatever. You got right? it gotcha. exactly, exactly. So you're expected uh, to try and return to some form of employment mm-hmm. for which you are suited. Okay, uh, and, and so that's that's what's important to understand that that the disability doesn't mean you can't do hundred percent of your job or any occupation. It just means that reasonably you can't do the majority of the functions of your
0: of your work. Does uh, this, well, you you kind of touched on it a moment ago, but does it have to be visible, like an X ray or MRI to qualify? No, 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 it doesn't. And again, it's a misconception
1: out there. And, and, you know, there is a stigma out there, right? When you say I'm depressed or I have fibromyalgia or chronic pain, you know, I, I get into arguments with my insurance defense friends, lawyers who work for insurance companies the way I used to work for them who say, yeah, well, this guy's, uh, you know, crying about his uh, bad back. I can't see anything on an X-ray or an MRI. That's complete and utter nonsense. It's, it's idiotic. I mean, when's the last time, John, that you had a, a headache, a migraine perhaps, that could be seen on an MRI or a CT scan yeah. or uh, an X-ray, ultrasound, whatever? Many, many injuries, uh, many, many ailments that we have, mm-hmm. either we don't know what the cause is of those ailments. Uh, I see that a lot, by the way, where we see symptoms, like seizures, for example. We don't necessarily know what the cause is. Right. Uh, or you have situation of um, a, a mixed psychological slash physical type of a disability. Generally, you see that with depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like I said, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, a variety of these kinds of ailments. It does not mean that you have to have an x-ray image or an mri report to prove those disabilities but but you do have to have some kind of medical backing what does that mean it can be your family doctor that's known you for 10 years it can be your pain specialist it can be i don't know your chiropractor perhaps right. whoever it has to be you have to have sufficient medical documentation medical proof to support your disability mm-hmm. if you don't have that if it's just your word and your, your entire medical team is saying, no, we think you can go back to work. You're going to have a problem. Yeah,
0: big time. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. 416-216-5910 to get a hold of uh, Savannah through email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue our discussion on long-term disability. Maybe get to another email. In our last few minutes of the show, the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640, 416-216-5910. Even when the show is over, that is the number to call. Email anytime, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of Savannah we were talking about before the break. Uh, questions and uh, queries about long-term disability. We mentioned the invisible type of disability where it's not necessarily showing up on an MRI or an x-ray. So how do you, uh, how, do you how do you maximize the, the you know, quote-unquote visibility of an invisible injury? Okay, very, very good question. And that's something that applies
1: also to injury Uh, type cases, car accidents and things like that. Uh, One of the techniques that I often tell my clients to utilize, I mean, it's a technique, but it's also something they should be doing from a common sense standpoint, is make sure you go to your doctor on a regular basis. I mean, don't harass your doctor, right? (laughs) Don't, Don't go there on a daily basis and just sit around and just cry about your pain. But go to the doctor on a regular basis. Look... If, uh, if you're saying that you are uh, depressed, severely depressed, and you're not seeking any psychological help, any counseling or a psychiatrist, it's going to look odd, okay? So you want to make sure that, uh, you know, there is a medical trail that shows that you have tried to lessen right. your, your ailment or your injury. It's called mitigation in law, okay? Uh, if, if, if you're talking about, uh, you know, an, an injury that you've suffered, you want to show that you've complied with treatment recommendations, So if your family doctor is saying you should be going to a physio clinic, you want to make sure you, in fact, go to a physio clinic. Very, very important. Uh, By the way, on that note, John, uh, in many instances, in many cases, when I work for insurance companies, one of the arguments I would argue against the injured individual or the disabled individual is I would look through the recommendations of their treatment providers, family doctor or uh, chiropractor or whoever else specialized, and I would say, well, they recommended X, Y, and Z, and you've only done Z. How come you haven't done X and Y? Right? right? Had you done X and Y, you would be better by now. So that's your fault, right? Wow. So you want to make sure that you comply with these recommendations. Seek out specialists for whatever disabilities you have. So if you have chronic pain, try and get a chronic pain doctor. Go to a neurologist for uh, traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. A psychologist for a psychiatrist for depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, so very, very important. And and you know, another, another technique that I've utilized before in these cases is have friends and colleagues, perhaps work colleagues, provide some testimonials. Uh, it, that it's goes a long way. It's some backup, exactly, yeah. because that's that's not medical,
0: but it complements the medical side. Mm-hmm. So very, very effective. Got a couple minutes to go here. I'll get to one last email before we close, and that is, I've uh, been in a car accident. Uh, this is from Rob from Ajax. Says, I've been in a car accident, or was, about two months ago. Haven't been able to get back to work. My insurance adjuster is not answering my voicemails, and I haven't received anything from them. I wasn't at fault for the accident, but I went to a lawyer who said that unless I was off work for at least a year, he couldn't help me. What options do I have? Well, the first option is never go to that lawyer again, okay? It's (laughs) absolutely nonsense. (laughs) Right. Rob, give me a
1: call. You can start a claim immediately. Not even a question. Again, John, we talked about this before. Really makes me angry when, when lawyers give this stupid advice because it's completely dumb. What do you mean, you know, if you haven't been at work for a year, then call me. It's nonsense. It just means the lawyer is being lazy or the lawyer is misinformed. That's not true. If the injury is severe, if clearly you are having issues working, if your adjusters are not responding to your voicemails, emails, whatnot, that's not right. It's just not right. And trust me, with one letter from
0: me, they're going to be
1: answering. I guarantee you that.
0: We'll get to this before we wrap up and something we should be aware of, and that is the uh, the new rules that are on the roads, or at least some of them, n- not right away, but will eventually be for 2016. I know one of them is a crosswalk one, right? Yeah, that's, that's actually the main thing I yeah. want to
1: bring to everybody's attention. People have been talking about this. You heard this on the media. Uh, the Ma- uh, Making Ontario's Road Safer Act. Uh, it stipulates that drivers will be required to remain stopped at pedestrian crossovers or school crossings until everyone is off the roadway. Uh, Also, pedestrians uh, will be prohibited from entering crosswalks if the vehicle is so close that the driver can't stop. This is very important because if there is a collision between a driver uh, and a pedestrian, generally speaking, the driver has to show why he or she is not negligent in the circumstances. Okay, but if you're a pedestrian here and you're contravening this act and you're entering the crosswalk when the the car is right there, you right. could be held partially or fully at fault as well. Wow! So again, make make sure you're aware of this rule, particularly drivers. And I'm I was guilty of that as well. I am guilty of that as well. Uh, uh, you know, in 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 situations where uh, I, I've I've Wait until the person has almost crossed the rear The rear end's way. past
0: your bumper and away you go, right? Y- yeah, you got, yeah, I think
1: most people do that. But yep. you have really have to be mindful of this new rule. And and I've been very, very careful now when, when I've been on crosswalks to make sure that the pedestrian is fully on the other side. Yeah. Uh, as a driver, trust me, you do not want to be in a situation where not only do you get a ticket, but you could injure someone. Absolutely. And then you're going to be facing a claim. Right. You're not going to be happy about it.
0: Another good week, my friend, as we close off. Anytime you want to get a whole of Savannah, it is 416-216-5910. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And anytime you're wondering what pain and suffering could be worth for yourself, a friend, a relative, injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM640.